don't know why you're so tetchy today. I'm not tetchy. I'm just a bit nervy. What? I'm starting to feel a bit itchy. Oh, really? Yeah, a bit already? scratchy already. Cause... Excited about the news. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So just get a move on. Funny that you come out in Jerry Anderson news hives, hives isn't it? That's very bizarre. <laughs> the Jerry Anderson Podcast with Jamie Anderson, Richard James and Chris Dale. Hello. <laughs> Hello. Hello. Hi. It's been a very busy few weeks, hasn't it? Oh, we haven't stopped, have we? Thunderbird's Day. Yeah. Uh, Terrell's 10, 10, 40th anniversary. Day, yeah. The release of Candy and Andy and the Bear Anders. Lovely. Enjoyed that very it's much. Just so much stuff going on. So much on. stuff going on. Oh, a, a, a Thunderbird's Danger and Deception, obviously. Oh, yes. Audio drama. Yes. Uh, the Tracy Brothers portraits. Yeah. The, the Terrell's beer. What? And the comic <laughs> anthology. It's and, extraordinary, isn't it? Yeah, and there's more to come. Is because there? There's always stuff going on in the worlds of Jerry Anderson. That's not the phrase I've we used to use. I've got to nail that quote. What yeah. is it? I can't remember. Anyway, uh, I suppose you ought to explain what we're doing here. Uh, we're sitting here trying to remember what we say yeah. uh, about the Jerry Anderson news. Yes, that's right. Which because is part of yes, the, Ger- the Jerry Anderson the, podcast. podcast that's and right. we're hosting that. That's right. And now, you are? I'm Jamie Anderson. That's right. There's your name at the bottom of the screen yeah, there. Very nicely done. Who are you? I'm Richard James. Very nice. And also, yes. the man with the catchiest catchphrase, which I believe is, hi guys. Oh, yes. Uh, just over there, it's Chris Dale. Hi guys! There he is. Hi Chris. Nailed it. Said his catchphrase. I'm well. going to get that on a t-shirt. Yeah, I think oh, nice picture of Chris midwave. Hi guys. Hi guys. It's great, isn't it? I, that's amazing. Now Chris is talking about so much going on. He's been the busiest of all of us recently. He's actually done all the work. Yes, he's actually got off his backside, <laughs> off Jeff Tracy's sofa, and put some work in. And moved to another seat. <laughs> well done, Chris. Yeah. So aside from the randomizer, which we all know you love, which will be coming later on in the mm. podcast. He'll also presenting, be presenting the second part of his interview with John Lee, visual oh. effects designer from Terrorhawks, uh, Moon, uh, the Harry Potter series, a uh, bit of Mission Impossible, a bit of Star Wars. He's done loads of stuff, that bloke. All sorts of stuff. Very nice man as well. So I hear. Mm. I didn't get to meet him, though, because obviously I didn't do the interview. No, of course. But, um, so I'll just take your word for that. But anyway, John Lee joining us a little later on around the table with Chris Dale. We've also got Fab Facts coming out very shortly. I'm going to skate over that really quickly because then we'll have the Jerry Anderson news. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we'll have uh, some emails from our podstrons. Yeah. And I'll be reading out some comments from our YouTube channel. You've remembered literally everything that happens. I think I have, yes. yes. Which is amazing given we've, we've already done this 278 times before. Yeah, should we do it at 279th time? Well, why not? Come for on, sake. while we're here. Uh, yeah, so I think it's time you picked up your book and did something with it my fabulous tome yes a fab fact just get on with it you ready yes good here comes a fab fact now time for this week's fab facts it's uh (laughs) fab facts i've got a book of fab facts right here uh it's just packed from cover to cover with fab facts (laughs) yes luckily and i have no doubt that today's fact will also be fab because they always are always it's the most incredible facts around the jerry anderson universe yeah Uh, so i flick through the pages which shouts fab at a random point and it always is very random and that then lands upon hopefully maybe one of the fabest facts ever who knows it could be imagine that wouldn't that be nice does that mean we would stop then doing the fab facts section no, because no, we've no, reached no 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 oh. no because if you reach a peak then you've got to then come down the other side <laughs> right i think so we did that long ago at best we're halfway through or, or at worst depending on your point of view um, anyway look i'm going to start flicking are you ready to say fab oh uh, yes i think so okay here we go fab very nice what no no it's yeah good, good it's a good one. Oh, is it well how do you know i mean yes. well, because because i can see the theme of the fab fact oh. you see and it's it's very uh, timely. 
Right. It's very sort of zeitgeist. <laughs> Is it? Yeah, I believe so. Well, see okay. what you think. Yeah, I will. Over the past few months, mm. Richard and Podstrons, mm. we've all become used to hearing the phrase AI. Oh, yes. Or artificial intelligence. We have, yeah. yeah. Not, not artificial insemination, as I uh, mistakenly said on a recent podcast for, I think, Scarred for Life, <laughs> um, which was a bit awkward. Yes, definitely anyway, not that. If you are on social media, and I, I bet you are, mm. I bet you are too, mm. uh, you will almost certainly have seen examples of AI-produced music, art, and even literature. Yes. Many podsterons have started using it to make new pictures of their favourite Jerry Anderson characters and posting them to our YouTube, up to our Facebook group. Yes, that's true. Uh, you might have started to use it in the workplace to help with presentations or pitches or yep. uh, helping to visualise ideas. I mean, I know we certainly have. It's been amazing. Ah. You may even have seen some examples of AI mm -hmm. without even noticing it. Right, yes, possibly. This is the big reveal where we say that Richard James <laughs> is, in fact, an Artificially AI construct. unintelligent. Uh, no. <laughs> yeah. Uh, perhaps the most striking use of AI uh, in the Jerry Anson world recently has been the implementation of AI deepfake, ah, which you'll remember, yes. to bring Dad back in order to tell his story in his own words yep. in last year's Jerry Anson Life Uncharted. Indeed. Available on DVD and Blu-ray from the Jerry Anson store. Oh. Uh, and we've, we've often discussed how he would almost certainly have used the technology himself had it been around back in the day. Uh, such was his interest in new technology and storytelling techniques. Yes, days. yes, certainly. But... Uh, what? What? What are you but, doing that for? Did you know that AI has already been used in an Anderson Entertainment production? AI? Yeah. That's it? AI. It's already been used. That's it? Did you know that? Uh, yes, I did. Yeah, I think obviously you did. Oh, uh, it's not one you would have seen on TV mm -hmm. or at the cinema, mm -hmm. but one you might have already seen online. Right. Yes, if you're a viewer of the new video version of the Jerry Anson podcast, then you will have already fallen victim, <laughs> that's a bit harsh, to the machinations of artificial intelligence. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, Podstrons, cast your mind back to Pod 269. When yes. Dear Richard... Hubble Orange James yes. uh, joined Chris Randomizer Dale on the Randomizer sofa to watch an episode of Space Precinct. Predator and Prey. Prey. Remember it well. Well, imagine editor Charlotte Serple's dismay. <laughs> right. When she realised that, looking back over the footage, there was no room in the frame to insert the, the picture of the episode they were watching. Ah. So what could be done? Yes. Well, luckily, AI came to the rescue. Ah. Moving the picture down in the frame, AI was asked to generate an expanded background, thus leaving room for the episode to play out for Richard and Chris to watch. If you look very carefully, you might just see the join, proving that as yet AI isn't quite perfect. Whereas, who wrote this? Whereas Richard and Chris are... Ah, yeah, well, that's true. Yes. It wasn't our fault. Well, the, it, that was a great fat fact until that bit. <laughs> so, yeah, so did you spot it, Foster ah, And how yeah. do you feel about that? How do you feel about that? Do you feel duped? Duped? I mean, I, it, was, it was an attempt to sort of assist the viewing experience. Absolutely. We were doing it for, for, for the best possible reasons. But interesting, you mentioned that you've already been using AI in terms of visualising mm. potential projects. and uh, yeah. th uh, Can you give us a bit more detail on what that... Not really, no. no but I think... Uh, Things like Mid Journey and yeah. Stable Diffusion, the kind of the generative image uh, ge generators. Yes, uh, they're amazing tools. Yeah, and 
people are kind of worried about them taking people's jobs, but we, we are using them currently in places where we just wouldn't have the funds available to do that anyway mm -hmm. in the first place. Yeah. And then it's helping things move further along quicker. So yeah. they are amazing tools. I can see why people are concerned. Now, I've seen various um, AI-generated uh, bits of film footage on, on Twitter and so on, mm. where they've got people dancing at a party and they sort of got strange hands coming out of their mouths. Yeah, yeah. Chins Generative video is not there yeah. yet. Yes. Um, but, you know, give it a few years, it will be. Well, give it a few, few months. months. Yeah, <sighs> it's not going to be that long. Um, Terrifying. They're doing amazing things already. So do you think the time will come where I could sit down every week and just ask some AI generator to produce two people sitting at a table talking about Jerry Anderson and linking to various items? Well, do you remember many pods ago when ChatGPT first arrived, oh, yes. we had it write a script <laughs> yes. and we basically read it out. And it was not a million miles away, but we can also now clone voices. So, yeah, it's totally... Who's to say that this isn't an AI-generated podcast right now? Yeah, but if it were, surely there'd be some, some sort of um, glitch that there would probably be a bit of a give, a, give, a, give a giveaway, wouldn't it? I would think that might yeah. be evident, yes. Yeah, yeah. So keep your eyes peeled, Bostrons. Yeah, yeah. giveaway. So, um, yes, I like that. As I, I see what you mean about Fab Facts peaking. Yeah, it's I quite, think that happened some time ago. Oh, yeah, you know, you're quite right anyway. <laughs> okay, fine. Well, that brings us rather rudely to the end of this week's... Fake Fact! Well, AI fact, fake, yeah, but it's kind of deep fake. Ah, okay, well, yes, yeah. <laughs> Blew it again. Yeah. Never mind. I mean, you mentioned there that uh, uh, AI uh, making st stories and generating content. Yeah, yeah, Now, yeah. I, and I've been alluding to this a little bit over the past few weeks, yes. have been writing something. You have. And just for fun, mm. even though I had almost completed it, I thought, I know, I'll ask, I think it was Google Bard, yeah. to write something in this style featuring this sort of character, okay? Mm. And I kid you not, the result was almost beat for beat what I had just been writing. Really? So, I mean, obviously there are differences, but just in terms of the, the peaks the and troughs of the narrative yeah. and the structure and the sort of world that involved, it was all there. That's amazing, isn't it? Yeah, so I threw away what I'd written and just copied and pasted Absolutely, that. Absolutely, yeah. There you go, done it. Yeah, perfect. Easy. <laughs> I look forward to reading it. <laughs> now, a little later on, uh, it's a very Chris Dale heavy episode again, oh. because not only will he be joining us for the randomizer later on, he'll also be joining us for the second part of his interview with John Lee to celebrate, or continuing to celebrate, uh, all things Terrorhawks. Quite right, too. Yeah, we'll be hearing from the Podstrons as well. But until then. Oh, you've got that nasty itch again. Yeah, come on. Okay. Well, that's apparently the rather irritating Jerry Anderson news. Oh. Hello and welcome, Ander fans. It's Jamie here again with another round of exciting updates from the Jerry Anderson universe. So let's dive straight in, shall we? First off, for those who might have missed it, our Terrorhawks livestream is available for a rerun on our YouTube channel. But here's the big news. We announced the production of a final Terrorhawks episode on audio. That's called Destiny Unknown. This special release will provide a proper conclusion to the series, officially making Terrorhawks the longest running Anderson series in terms of episode count you will not want to miss it. Great news for Space 1999 fans, Aftershock and All, the graphic novel that retells the breakaway story from a fresh Earthbound perspective, is now in stock. Prepare to uncover 
the secrets and see the original series in a whole new light. You can secure your copy today from the Jerry Anderson store. Our limited edition Thunderbirds Day t-shirt adorned with artwork from the Super Space Theatre releases is now in stock and shipping out. With only 300 available worldwide, time is ticking to get your hands on this unique piece of memorabilia. Stay tuned, later this week we've got some tantalising teasers coming your way about an upcoming Blu-ray release. Keep those speculation hats firmly on. Do you need a 2024 calendar? Well, look no further. Our Thunderbirds and Space 1999 calendars are ready to go. Perfect for personal use, gifts, or holiday stocking fillers. Get yours in time to ring in the new year. Remember, our YouTube channel is constantly updated with fantastic Anderson content. Stay connected, stay informed, and of course, most importantly, stay entertained. And a final heads up for collectors. Our limited edition Eagle collectibles are almost ready for takeoff. Interest has absolutely skyrocketed, with more names on the email list than we have eagles to share. To ensure you don't miss out, sign up and get notified the minute that pre-orders launch. Well, that's all for this week, folks. Keep your spirits high and your passion for the Anderson universe burning bright. Until next time, back to Richard and Jamie in the studio. That was the news. That was the news. Did it again. Didn't need reminding. No, beautiful. And I'm sure lots of people will be singing along or be shocked if they've only just come to the podcast <laughs> thinking, why is he suddenly singing? <laughs> Do you think you've got news mites? News? Is that what it is? Yeah. Now I know what it is. I can go to the pharmacy and get something for it. I think so. So hopefully yeah. next week I'll be all right. You need to get some frontline spray or something. You've got some for the cat at home, maybe. I yeah, know. I do, actually. Yeah, just, just use that. Put some on the back of your neck. Yeah, all right. Good. Hey, <laughs> my scruff. Uh, right, uh, done the news, done fab facts. It's time to open the door and just lower the temperature for just a moment as we say hello. What are you doing? Shivering preemptively. Oh, I see. It's the voice of the Podstrons. This is the voice of the Podstrons. Dear Jamie, Richard, Chris, and team, oh, says team Becca. Now. Yep. I hope you're all doing well. Very thanks. Yeah. Uh, I just thought I'd drop a line to say how much I'm enjoying the new podcast format. Everybody's saying that. It's good though. You're isn't only it? selecting the nice ones. Even though, though oh. it has been running for a short while now. Oh. Yeah. Fair enough. Okay. I think she wrote this a few weeks ago. I still mainly listen to the show, mm. but I do watch via YouTube when I can. Admittedly, here are some things I miss. Oh. Okay. The you're listening to an Anderson Entertainment production now re-recorded by Richard. So they're missing Robbie Stevens, basically. Yeah, so yeah. You, fair okay. enough. But also, fiddle. I think we changed that because we're not just listening anymore. Yeah, you're enjoying. An Anderson <laughs> You've just enjoyed. Yeah, yeah. It's perfect. Uh, the Space 1999 style this episode intro. Well, it was a Thunderbirds slash Space Nine, but, but we, yeah. you know, yeah. why, why did we drop that? Well, we dropped that because we had the intro, and then we started the podcast by immediately recapping all the things we were about to do, which we'd just done in the intro. Right. So it's like we were having a double intro. Yeah. Also, it's important to get in, isn't it? Get in. Get straight into the podcast. Yes. Uh, she misses at the end credits the stage one complete Stingray sound file, soundbite. Oh, didn't realise we'd moved that. Mark Silk's bit at the end. You've been listening to the Jerry Anderson podcast. Wasn't it fun? Yes, Mark, it was, says Becca. She misses uh, that. No, I can't say that. But she can still say it. Yeah. However, she now includes a list of things that she loves. Thank goodness. Yeah. The podcast is now filmed in video colour, super slow moxification. Fantastic that we can now see all our beloved hosts and their guests in the same studio. Isn't it great? Great to finally see Chris comment alongside the randomizer and see the episode as he comments over it. And that Chris is finally mentioned in the opening credits. Yes. 
Richard's This Is Your Lifestyle introductions for his guests. Oh, they're very good. He's very good, isn't he? It's very good. The incredible new opening visuals, exciting and gripping, worthy of an Anderson opening credit sequence itself, and much more besides. Well done, Chris Thompson there. Sorry for the long email. Uh, Believe me, Becca, it's not as long as some. Uh, I just thought I'd chime in with my thoughts. I also really enjoyed that fascinating interview with Aisha Bruff. She was wonderful. Thanks again to you all and to the Potter's Arms for being so fab. Sadly, my grandma recently passed away unexpectedly. She was a big part of my family, so all the support from the Potters and listeners to the show has really helped. I am grateful. Many thanks, FAB, SIG, PWR, 1010, Becca Andrews. Well, sorry to hear your news, Becca, but isn't that lovely that the supportive Podstron community is there? Whether yeah. it's to celebrate something Anderson yeah, or, or commiserate. to commiserate on something personal. Absolutely right. That's why they're there. Yep. Uh, Alex in Suffolk yes. says, yes. Hello, everyone. Hello, everyone. Mm. Great. Talking Pictures TV's recent repeats of Fireball XL5, my favourite superannuation series, mm. soon had me reaching for my DVD box sets of various Anderson shows for a bit of a nostalgia trip. A bit of Googling later... And I discovered your podcast too. Ah, oh, I see. That's how it happens. Yeah, so thank oh. you, Talking Pictures, for that. Yeah. I just wondered if there's an official in-universe chronology for the Anderson shows, please. Ah. I found a fan-made one online, but it has Thunderbirds and Captain Scarlet decades apart, ah. that old chestnut, mm-hmm. when I thought they were meant to be fairly close together. Thanks. Hope you can help. And that's Alex in Suffolk. Alex, a well, welcome new listener. Yeah. Slash consumer enjoyer. Consumer. <laughs> Consumer is a horrible word, isn't it? <laughs> it is. Very new corporate. Podcast enjoyer. Welcome, new client. Yes. Welcome, Podstron. Yeah, new client. Yeah, Goodness yeah. me. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, there's the there's the Thunderbirds 2026 versus 2065 thing. I yes. think we'll lean on the 2065 because it's easier. Mm. And then basically, after Supercar, everything was a hundred years in the future, oh. except for Joe ninety, which was sort of 2012 ish. Oh yeah, I think something right. around there. Yeah. And then obviously Space 1999. Yeah, or was in what? When, when was that? <laughs> I can't believe you. you. Yeah, you're mean? just being funny. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it was yeah. hilarious. Yeah. Uh, obviously it was set in 1975. No, it's 1999. <laughs> UFO, 1980. Yes, there you go. yes. Uh, Terrorhawks, 2020. Yes. So, I mean, are these helping? I, I hope yes. so. Yes, okay. Yeah. Great. So there's, is that some chronology for yeah, you? Yeah, there's certainly some chronology. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> uh, hi, uh, Jamie and Richard. Jake here. I just wanted to let you know that I'm adoring the new video podcast format. That's the highest compliment we've received yeah, so far. It Adoration. Makes, absolutely. It makes the podcast even more fun. Oh, thanks, Jake. A couple of months ago, the Podstrons were talking about Jerry Anderson's show's influences oh. on Japanese franchises. Not this again. That hoary old chestnut. Mm. Uh, not Jake, I'm talking about. Yeah. Uh, I've suddenly remembered a possible example. That is in the animation short Star Fox Zero, The Battle Begins. Ah. Uh, There's a scene in which the Star Fox team enter the fighters via chutes, uh, which was extremely reminiscent of the Thunderbird 2 and UFO interceptor launch sequences. I was already aware of Jerry Anderson's influence on the Star Fox video games, as mentioned previously. Uh, Yes. But this may make the connection between the two stronger. Anyway, keep up the good work and I can't wait to see what you put out next. And that's from Jake F. Grave. Great surname. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Why didn't we have a launch sequence in Space Precinct? Why didn't we go down a chute or down a pole know. or be turned upside down and, yeah. you know? You know, we, you, uh, well, I mean, it's slightly weird layout in the, um, the station house, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Basically, be, you're going up the stairs to get to the <laughs> Not quite phase. so exciting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Romex stopping for a break. 
<laughs> fag break on the third <laughs> yeah, landing. Apart from his e-cigarette. That's right. Uh, yeah, it wouldn't quite have been the same. No, no, so. no, fair enough. But yeah, I'm sad for you that there wasn't one. Yeah. Uh, oh, I've got a long one. I know. Yeah, Mark Perkins has sent one in. Yeah. Greetings, podcats. Greetings, Mark. Greetings, Mark Perkins. Thank you both for a very meta experience. Right, what's that then? He's going to detail it, I think. You Good. recently read out my email. Yep which I listened to on my headphones when I was out for a run. But the email you read out was about the issues I have when I listen to you reading out emails when I'm out for a run. <laughs> OK. I'm confused. That's what he says. Yes. Yeah, me too, Mark. Yeah. Uh, but not too confused, as I do remember that there was one very specific time when, contrary to what you said... Who? Us. Right. Jerry was very proud of what he'd achieved. Ah. Uh, okay, this is about yes. being proud of achievements, obviously. Yes, obviously. Uh, it was uh, with what turned out to be his final show, New Captain Scarlet, in 2005. And I can even give you a quote. Oh, good. Great. There was no arms crossed, that emoji there, but I, I could feel it coming through. Uh, in his forward to Chris Bentley's excellent book, The Complete Jerry Anson Episode Guide, Jerry wrote... I very rarely say this about my own productions, but I am immensely proud of the work that has been done on the new Captain Scarlet series. Mm. That does sound like a thing that he would say. Yes. Ironically, it makes me very sad to realise that he was finally proud of something that he'd made. And as we know, uh, it was heading for such disappointment when ITV made a hash of showing mm. it in terms of the distribution and ministry of Yes, yes. Let's not go into uh, that. That's right. Anyway, keep up the great podding. I love being able to watch the more visual aspects of the podcast on YouTube. You have remained my number one podcast for the last five years or so. Wow. And as I never tire of saying, Jerry might never understand why us Podstrons are so obsessed with his oeuvre, mm -hmm. but I'm certain he would have been proud of the caring and supportive community that you have created. Regards, Mark Perkins. Isn't Lovely. that nice? Yeah. Yes, I think so. I think so too. Yeah. Definitely great. wouldn't have understood it all. Would no. Have We're all weird sitting here every week for a... A yes. podcast from the Moxie and Slough. Yes, I remember talking to you about this before, and you said, yes, he certainly wouldn't want to have been involved, but he would have liked to have maybe had a little drop-in segment, a kind of an Ask Jerry exactly. segment. Yes, he would have been on the sofa, probably with Chris Dale. Probably, yes. Yeah. Talking of Chris Dale... Uh, yes, are well, we doing that now? Well, we've had enough of our... I say, we, uh, no, we haven't had enough of our postrons. Could never have enough of our postrons, oh. but we've reached the end of that segment. That's correct. That's what I mean. Which means we now move on to the next segment because that's how the podcast works. And that's how linear time works. Is it? One thing is over and a new thing begins. I had always wondered how that And soon that, that will be over too. Thank goodness you've illustrated it for me. You're like a physics professor these days, <laughs> I, aren't I you? really am, aren't Move I? over Brian Cox. Yeah. Um, it's time for Chris Dale to welcome in his guest for the second time, John Lee. If you recently celebrated Terrorhawks 40th anniversary, then you have this man to thank. As well as his work on Terrorhawks, he helped make Tom Cruise's missions possible, and even took a couple of trips into the Star Wars universe. There's barely a film he hasn't worked on. It's John Lee. <laughs> So, John, welcome back. You've, you've returned for more after the uh, chaotic end to the first half of your interview. Um, let's go back to Terrorhawks again. Talk me through, like, an average day in the Terrorhawks model department, if indeed there, there was such a thing. Wow. So we're going back a long way, going back 40 years. Well, 41 years, actually. Uh, so the average day would have been arriving probably, we started work probably about 8.30, quite late in, in modern times. We now would start perhaps slightly earlier. We'd have a bit of breakfast, start work in the workshop. We would either have a chat with Nick Finlayson, who was the uh, head, head of department. He would tell us what we were doing, or we would be carrying on with what we were doing the day before. 
we'd always have a kind of idea of when that work had to be finished. The workshop was a fun place. It was noisy. Uh, it was sort of loud, even though there were, weren't many of us in there. And there'd be people popping in every so often, people from the effects stage, Gary Tompkins running down with another drawing or another set of scripts. We all were given scripts in those days, unlike on some of the movies I've worked on recently. You never see a script. Uh, so we'd get the script and then straight away I would just start reading through the script and looking for the special effects sequences to see what was coming up because the scripts usually arrived maybe four or five weeks before we were actually shooting, so not long. Mm. Uh, so I'd often have two or three jobs on the go at the same time, something that was maybe needed very quickly, something that was a, you know, a project for a week's time and then a long-term project that might be a month away perhaps. Mm -hmm. uh, we'd have lunch in the canteen. There was a lovely sort of Bray Studios canteen full of wholesome food and puddings, uh, and we'd finish, what time did we finish? Technically around about 5.30, I believe. But most of us stayed around in the bar or we'd stay around in the workshop finishing a few things off. I don't recommend that these days, but we did that. We were young and we mm. were enthusiastic. Uh, we'd stay in the bar and then uh, the workshop because it was warm. It was warmer ah. than, uh, you know, going back to a... A sort of accommodation that makes all the difference yeah i've got some scripts from terrorhawks and a couple of them are marked model departments yes. or, or similar yeah. so were there any sort of um we hear the story for the super mario nation show sometimes there was rivalry between the puppet people and the effects people was there anything like that at bray on terrorhawks not that i recall i think we were all uh really excited because terrorhawks was the first of a new generation of series since uh, Space 1999. And it wasn't that long after Space 99 had finished shooting. So we were very aware, or well, I was, that this could be the start of something quite long term. So there was there was great friendships made. Uh, we were, Most of us were quite young. There was a splattering of more mature people on the team. They were only in their 40s, perhaps, at the time. But... Uh, no, I wasn't aware of that. Uh, there was lots of crossover between, you know, I remember people like Des Saunders coming into the workshop. He was directing Close Call, I think, and he was shooting a cockpit from the Overlander and came to the workshop. He needed to know where that cockpit was on the miniature because he'd got no sense of that. Mm. So we were showing him that. That was exciting to be talking to Des Saunders. You know, he directed some of the best episodes of some of the earlier shows. And the same with Alan Patillo. So the people were walking in and out of the workshop all the time. It was very exciting. Mm. Uh, yeah, Ian Schoons was there as well. It was fun. Well, speaking of early days, we're now going to play a clip, one of your favourite Anderson scenes or characters. Yeah. And uh, I think this can be classed as a character. You alluded to it last time. Ooh. It's a large yellow vehicle with giant claws. Let's oh. take a look at this. <laughs> It's in the village. Right. Get the heck out of there. If that processing plant gets jammed with bricks and mortar, they'll hear the bang a hundred miles away. So beat it. I'll get over to the dam site and see what I can do there.
Well, exciting stuff there, dramatic stuff there from the episode Path of Destruction. I gather the Crab Logger is one of your favourite vehicles from Thunderbirds? Yes, yeah. I mean, it's just so exciting, isn't it? It's so big. It's got caterpillar tracks. It pushes things over cuts trees down it's just such a nice miniature and it just keeps going past the camera yes. just when you think you've got to the end or oh, no yes. there's a whole another whole bit stuck yes. on the back but that brings us to something that um i believe was a perhaps an issue with early episodes of terror hawks we saw there with the crab logger that it all looked very dirty and very real was it right that there was some there were some concerns in the early days of terror hawks that the terror hawks vehicles didn't quite look as as real and and dirty as they perhaps should have done You've done your research, haven't you? I'm afraid so. Uh, so, yes, there was. So uh, the main craft of Terror Hawks, you know, Battle Hawk, Hawkwing, Tree Hawk, etc. Uh, they were, they were, uh, I had no involvement in those until quite late on. And they were finished and painted to a very high spec. They were beautifully artworked. Uh, they were very glossy. They resembled shop window aircraft display models and uh, they they would have photographed really badly on screen and it was quite worrying at the time uh, Bandai toys had been over and photographed them all to make toys so you know there was a commitment to these vehicles and but they just didn't look real uh, they looked nowhere near as real as the things that we were used to seeing on Space 1999 and Thunderbirds and things. And I think word got back to Jerry at some point that uh, this could be a problem. And myself and Steve Woodcock were called up to his office. Uh, Steve Begg was there, I think, at the time. And the conversation went along the lines of what can you do to make these look a little bit more realistic? Uh now, this was a tricky thing to have at the time because, you know, we were quite quite new to uh, professional model making, but I knew exactly what needed to be done. Uh, but it meant retrofitting certain parts in, and certainly it meant respraying them and dirtying them down with various uh, browns and blacks, putting panel lines on to make them look a bit more believable. They had no scale, so they would have photographed terribly badly. Uh, so I think everybody was a little bit worried. So so myself and Steve got to re-detail re all the main craft. And we had to do it very quickly because, you know, we were minutes away from shooting. Well, not minutes, but, you know, days away from actually turning over on them. Uh, so, yeah, that we I repainted Dirty Down and uh, put little bits of Letraset and, and wording just to try and break up the surface surfaces, which had no no detail. We couldn't alter the shape in any way. So, you know, I felt and still do that they didn't quite match the concept designs that Steve Begg had drawn up initially. Uh, there were no recessed panels with engineering and details. There was none of that. And of course, it was too late to put that in. Mm. So my feeling is the main craft, you know, uh, we, we sort of missed out slightly on that. They, they weren't what they could have been. Mm. But that's my opinion, and uh, other people might love them. It seems like such a, a simple, almost obvious idea, but it does add so much, all that extra detail. You weren't just involved with designing and building vehicles. There were also several uh, model sets you worked on, interiors and exteriors. I'm thinking of the, uh, the Xeroid Barracks here. Were you involved with that? Yes, I was involved in that. So Gus Ramsden did a drawing of the Xeroid Barracks very early on, and uh, it was a complex miniature, uh, 
it was around sort of eight feet by four feet and it was built on a gimbal so that we could shoot live action, all the Xeroids rolling in and out of their various channels. Uh, it was a very complicated thing, uh, strange, unusual angles. So it would have taken a few weeks to build that. Uh, but nevertheless, something that I'd not really done much of before, uh, you know, following other people's designs as such. Uh, so, yeah, the Xeroid Barracks, I built the Ander Burr Recording Studios, which features in a few episodes. And again, that was quite angular. Uh, again, Gus Ramsden, I think, drew that. Uh, but that was nice, building something slightly more architectural, because uh, I was keen as a model maker to, you know, fulfil my dreams of making spaceships and, you know, crazy vehicles, but also, you know, widening my skill base and being able to build other things, to to have a career as a, as a modeler. So uh, it was always exciting to build other vehicles. The Mars base was another one we talked about last week. Mm -hmm. uh, and... Other, yeah, uh, the Callisto base from one of the episodes, can't remember the title. The Spirilla, I think. Spirilla, yes, was it? The, the one that rotating dish thingy. Yes, and, overhangs yeah. the ice planet. Yeah. So that was something else we built from plastic containers and kit parts and things. So it was nice to swap and change. Mm. Well, you mentioned Andabo Records there. That's another interesting building because it always seemed to be shot from pretty much the same angle at roughly the same distance, and you didn't get a sense on screen of the detail that I know was in there because there's some behind the scenes footage close up on like pot plants yeah. outside and <laughs> markings of reception and you know, signs pointing visitors in all sorts of directions. So again, there's a lot more detail in those um, some of those vehicles and props than were seen on screen. Yes, there are. And you've really done your research. Uh, so yeah, thanks. So when you're when you're working on this kind of work, there is a there is a sketch, and uh, so you know roughly what you're making. But that sketch may not necessarily have those details that you've just talked about, which are really important for the audience to engage with, because it's all about scale, and those things—the signs, the litter bins, the potted plants—I have pictures in my portfolio of those because they're important storytelling elements. And those are the things that make all the shows that we're talking about look real. Those were the things that the model makers did in the 60s and 70s. And without that level of detail, the shots don't work. They look even more modelly, which is why uh, certain episodes, certain shows are, least, are less successful because it's the attention to detail that some people forget or are not aware of. Uh, mm. You have to put that work in the, in the work. Uh, it's also exciting. Well, there's a sequence I'd like to play now that I believe uh, reinforces the uh, the importance of attention to detail in a vehicle that even people who aren't 100% keen on Terrorhawks often say, "Cool, that's a gorgeous vehicle. Uh, we have a clip here from the episode Thunder Path. Whoever you are, watch out. Here I come.
so a superb sequence there from Thunderpath. Uh, I gather you were involved with that, that that sequence as well? Yes. So I was one of the model makers that built the Overlander. Myself and Steve Woodcock uh, built the uh, the three uh, sections. And Peter Bahanna worked on the wheel assembly, again, because of Peter's experience with radio control. So essentially three of us made that. It was all... Uh, we had a rough uh, concept sketch from Steve Begg. It was all carved in jelly tongue, which is a pattern maker's wood. It was incredibly heavy uh, and then detailed with various acrylics and plastics. And uh, myself and Steve painted that. Uh, it was quite long and had elasticated connecting uh, sections between the three uh, units so that the vehicle could move and stretch. The wheels were built on a rubber assembly so that it could uh, hug the terrain and, and look like the crab logger. Mm. Essentially, we were trying to recreate a more modern version of the crab logger. Uh, yeah, and we were there setting up on set with that. The bridge had been made, I believe, by Nick Finlayson's company. It was, I think it was slightly outsourced. So Nick and Anton designed a way of collapsing that bridge, which was actually quite clever in that there were two metal poles that were pulled apart through the inside of the structure so it collapsed from the inside out it was actually quite a clever trick uh, so there was no way the vehicle could travel over that without it collapsing and then you know it was a little bit disheartening to see that sort of crash to the ground and then and it came back to the workshop uh, quite bruised and battle damaged and, you know, blistering of paintwork. It was quite, quite brutal, uh, that. And we, we kind of rubbed it down and resprayed bits and we, you know, threw it back on set and we probably did it two or three times. Uh, but, yeah, that was a really exciting shot that we've just seen. And, uh, again, testament to the kind of detail and the attention to detail, trying mm. to make it look realistic and trying to give the audience the same kind of feeling that I would have had when I watched Thunderbirds. Oh, it's pure Anderson, that bit. I mean, mm. you talk about attention to detail. I love the sound design on that yeah, as well, particularly the little bits of metal at the I end. I know. <laughs> well, the, you know, we all know the sound, the sound effects editing and the sound design and Barry Gray's music on the earlier Thunderbird shows is it really it's 50% of what you're seeing. Mm. Uh, uh, but sound effects editing plays a big part in Jerry's shows and I uh, was always really excited about that. Fantastic stuff. Well, I've spent the week learning how to open our Space 1999 lunchbox containing listener questions. Uh, mainly the trick is don't close the lunchbox. Would you like to dig into some more Podstrons questions? questions? Yes, yeah, please. It's a whole week since we've done this, yes. isn't it? So this question's from Jeff Tilly. Hello, Jeff. What, mo what movies did you grow up on that were interesting for you and uh, the model and effects work? I had a real passion for animation when I was very young, so the work of Ray Harryhausen was really high on my kind of barometer. So Jason and the Argonauts, Mighty Joe Young, King Kong, Mysterious Island, all those early uh, Harryhausen movies uh, were really exciting for me to watch because it was, uh, you know, what we have to remember now in 2023 is this work was at the top of its uh, game there were no there were no nobody was doing this before Ray Harryhausen it was totally unique 
and it just sparked something off in me as a young sort of viewer wanting to know how this was done and you know I'd be hearing stories from my parents and my uncle saying oh it's a thing called animation and you know I think right how does that work and just trying to learn about that uh, so those Harryhausen movies were a big uh, big thing in my my young life movies like Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea all the Irwin Allen TV shows Land of the Giants Batman <clears throat> the original Batman series and of course all Jerry and Sylvia's work through the 60s so that's what I was watching uh, you know pretty much all the time mm -hmm. okay great answer um, so were you involved with the Terrorhawks until it's it's bitter end after 39 episodes or did you leave and um, I, I believe you did leave and ended up working <laughs> did you? you did yes, leave I'm going to tell leave. you your life yes, story have, rather than you answer I have, I have um, left <laughs> you ended up working with some other former Century 21 um, oh, yeah. effects alumni over at Clearwater Features that's right so I so I joined in 82 and I did I think I did about a year there at Bray Studios I did leave uh, I wanted to sort of expand my kind of uh, repertoire as it were I wanted to learn more about commercial model making uh, I was sad to leave but I, I left and went to work at Clearwater Films in Battersea in South London so I'd done some research before that and uh, went for interview and it was an incredible place to work uh, again quite small scale but with about three or four shooting stages and three or four directors working full-time so Ken Turner and Dave Mitten were the two owners of Clearwater and their uh, Anderson alumni, Dave Mitten working in the special effects department and Ken Turner directing. So they were the two kind of heads. Dave Lane was one of the producers and directors there. So I met Dave. Obviously, he directed the two feature films, Thunderbirds feature films and mm -hmm. many other uh, shows. Uh, and other directors. So I was working on animated commercials, mainly, uh, working with a model-making team down there, uh, working on very quick-fire TV commercials, learning lots of new skills, and working in the commercial world, and earning earning a little bit more money, which was nice at the time. Makes all the difference, yeah. I don't suppose you remember what your last episode of Terrorhawks was, necessarily. Uh one of the last things that we were shooting, I remember, was the episode, and you'll probably tell me, it was the space shuttle launching oh, right. uh, from a sort of launch pad. The launch pad was a hodgepodge of various other things that I'd made. Uh, and then I made the, made the pod itself. I think that was the last thing we were shooting. So, okay. uh from my memory, but it is 41 years That's ago. Operation SAS, which I think is about yep. the 15th or 16th episode right. produced. Have yourself another question out of our Let's listeners' box there. Question. Yes. Here we go. So this is from Richard Goodburn. What changes to the Thunderbirds uh, 2004 movie vehicle designs would you have liked to have done from the finished product? The Thunderbirds movie comes in for a lot of stick. It I does, th I think, yes. Uh, which is interesting. And I actually quite like it. It was an incredible film to work on. Jonathan Frakes was a wonderful director to work with, and he directed some of the model unit things as well. Mm -hmm. So uh, we had an amazing crew on that film. It felt like a big-budget film. It didn't feel exactly like Thunderbirds. No. Uh, and the audience, I think, you know, the fans certainly also thought that. Uh, 
But it does come in for a bit of bad press, but I, I don't know. I, I like it. I think what we, what we forget is that sometimes you have to just kind of leave things alone. And if you're going to remake movies and series, you have to either change them completely or copy them exactly. Mm. That, that, that sort of grey area is a very difficult thing to, to pull off. But there were some really nice sequences in that film. I, I worked on an oil rig sequence at the beginning. I think the CGI vehicles were superb. Uh, I'm not sure I would have changed the designs, actually. No. I think I'd probably maybe... I don't know what I'd have done. Uh, I haven't really answered your question, Jeff, <laughs> if, if it was Jeff. But I wouldn't have altered the designs. No. Uh, it was a really exciting thing to work on and helped me in my career at the time because I met a whole bunch of new people and we did other films together after that. Well, we're now going to play you a scene from the 2004 Thunderbirds oh. movie. Some of our viewers love the film, some of them hate the film, yeah. some of them are indifferent. It's, a, as you say, a very polarising film. Yeah. But let's take a look at this scene. Thunderbirds, just a few minutes ago. Oh, they should be here any moment now. And here they are. Thunderbird 2, this is Thunderbird 1. I have visual south column. They're trapped on an inspection platform. FAB, we'll take it from here. Come on, come on! Scott, get out of there. That tower's coming down. Got it. Thunderbird 1, any damage? Negative, Dad. Come on, come on. Swing around. Can't get close enough taking that approach angle. Approach angle's no good. You're gonna have to swing her around. Watch for wind shear, Thunderbird 2. Scotty, I was watching for wind shear when you were still wearing diapers. Come on, Ben. Whoa, hold on. Who needs the diapers now, Dad? What do they do now? Probably drop the rescue platform from Thunderbird 2. Open them up. Here we go. Rescue platform's on its way. Virgil, how's it going? It's looking good, Dad. Well, the classic line, who needs the diapers now, Dad, leads us on to your post-Terrorhawks career, which, of course, includes the Thunderbirds movie. And you have fond memories of that, as you said. Um, what else have you have you gone on to since Terrorhawks, even since Thunderbirds and, and Clearwater? Uh, so after Thunderbirds, I think uh, we, I did AVP, Alien vs. Predator, again with Bill Pearson, and uh, movies like Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, I worked on two Harry Potter movies for Cinesite, which was a company down at Shepperton. And Cinesite uh, had a huge workshop, big team of people. So I did The Half-Blood Prince and The Order of the Phoenix. I did Thomas the Tank Engine at Shepperton oh, Studios, which was one. a wonderful, yep. wonderful thing, to, wonderful gig to get. And other movies, I've done The Martian, which is another Ridley Scott film. Uh, Moon, obviously, we talked about that, and uh, the, some of the recent Star Wars films. So it still continues to this day? Yeah. And do you ever find yourself on the set of, say, the, the latest Star Wars whatever, and think, oh, I learnt this trick back on Terrorhawks, or, or oh, there's something that they did in Thunderbirds, and I can use this in what I'm working on at the moment? At the moment? Yeah, that's a really good point. Uh, I think... I'm very lucky to be working, very lucky to be able to work, and uh, I'm still excited at the concept of, of working in the industry. You never stop learning, 
uh, and you you know there are always there are always more clever people in the room than you are. So I'm a firm believer in if people have got better ideas, those are the ideas that you go with. You don't necessarily go your own route. You have to share that uh, kind of commonality. Yeah, I'm very lucky to be working and you're always thinking, yes, we've done this before, but slightly different. So the, the nice thing about working as a modeler, designer, whatever, is that you never make the same thing twice. You make something similar to what you've done before. So you you go into your brain and your kind of muscle memory and you think, well, it's kind of a bit like this, but different. And I find that quite exciting. Mm. So before we move on to our final game, which will be the end of the interview, our, our game Cute Mute Recruit, which we'll explain in a moment, I gather you've brought something along with you today, uh, a memento from your Terrorhawks days. I have. Would you like to see I it? I would love to see it. Is it over there and we didn't it's bring it? Over, it's oh, over it's, here. it's down there, it's is it? Here. Okay, so well, you so, don't have to get up there. Uh, I can stay What's seated. this? I, I, I won't be wearing this, so I don't know oh. whether the viewers can see that. But that oh, that's lovely. Is, uh, that is my Terrorhawks crew sweatshirt, which uh, was given to us as a gift. I'll turn it round. Mm -hmm. and oh. I will hit the microphone. So, uh, and yes, we all, uh, we all wore those, uh, and I still have it 41 years later. Uh, so there you go. That's, that's what Fantastic. I brought along today. Oh, it's lovely to see that. Do you have any other souvenirs from that time? Or? Uh, I have a T-shirt as well, and I have one or two bits and pieces. I've got my script, obviously. I've, I've kept those, uh, and uh, call sheets and things like that. So I've kept most of those throughout my career. Lovely. So, we have a game called Cute, Mute and Recruit. We are building our own international rescue organisation. We ask each of our guests, firstly, to have a look at the three cards that our previous guest picked. Uh, you have to decide which of these characters you would... Well, firstly, which you think is cute, which you would mute, and which you would recruit for our international rescue organisation. Mute, recruit. Yes, indeed. Right. So, first okay. up... We have a card that's upside down, if I rotate it. We have this chap. This is a robot from Supercar and later repurposed for Fireball XL5. Cute, mute, or recruit? Mute. Mute. We don't want to hear from we him. We he just wants to destroy him. things. That's fine. So, we have a choice of cute or recruit. We have a minor character from Thunderbirds. It's Scott Tracy. Do you want him on your international rescue we force? Need, we need Scott Tracy. We need Scott Tracy. Everyone so, needs Scott Tracy. Is this an official, we're recruiting Scott Tracy? We are definitely recruiting Okay. Him. Well, I've manoeuvred you into a trap here, because this last person, by definition, has to be cute. Cute. It's the snake from Space Precinct, this uh, reptilian <laughs> extortionist who had acid for blood. So right. there you go. Okay. You, you think he is cute. Um, we'll yeah. leave that there. Thank you. And now it's your turn uh, to make three selections for our next guest, or perhaps we should say victim. Pick three cards out of there at so random. We, oh, at random. At random, oh, and so don't show them. To... No, I mean, you one. can look at them, I but um, as long as the camera doesn't see. This is all happening live. This is very live and very well rehearsed. And this is for our next guest. 
Um, Do we know who the next guest is? Then? Do, uh, do I we... believe someone does, but uh, right. I personally have not. I'm not privy to that information. Okay, okay. So you now know who they will be faced with right. in the next episode. Uh, good selection there. Really good selection. Good. Okay. Well, we'll look forward to uh, to them getting a go on that next time. Right. Okay. So, if our listeners want to find you online or follow your latest projects, where can they do that? So they can find me on Twitter. John Lee Rocky Road, I believe. I'm also at the National Film and Television School. So uh, have a look at the website, look up NFTS Model Making, where I run uh, a course teaching uh, young students model making and prop making skills so that they can go into the industry. Ladies and gentlemen, our thanks to John Lee. Thank you. Thank you. Well done, Chris Dale. Well done. John Lee. <laughs> That's it. Uh, what a lovely second part of the interview. Yes. Well, what do you expect? Uh, well, perfection. Ex- and I got it. Yeah, absolutely. Expert interviewing from yep. Chris. Expert guesting from John. Absolutely. Yeah, lovely to have John along. It's always nice to hear from people who are there. Yes. Isn't it? Who work with Dad and, yeah. you know, were on the shows and then have gone on to do great things. Oh, absolutely right. Are you suggesting that they didn't do great things with your dad? <laughs> gone on to do great gone things. Gone to do other great things. Ah, oh, that's you did specify. Come on. Yeah. Talking of great things, yes. I think it's a great thing when our lovely Podstrons comment on our YouTube channel. Mm, I'm not surprised. Because there's an awful lot on our YouTube channel. Episodes of stuff. I know. Primers. Tech Talk. Beyond Anderson. Yeah, the new Jerry Anderson mini documentary things. Yeah, yeah. There's so many things. Uh, and the podcast, of course. Uh, so, uh, beneath uh, Pod274... <laughs> Yes. The lovely interview with uh, Anton Phillips. Uh, I say lovely. Because you did it. Yeah. Uh, uh, Eagle Transporter 1999 commented, mm. how interesting Martin Landau didn't like Anton's character name, Bob Mathias, because that was the name of a famous Olympian. Apparently Martin tried to change it, but with no success. Fantastic interview, so revealing. Thanks so much. Well done, Richard and Anton. Yeah. Which prompted me to search for a little more info on... The real Bob Mathias. Robert ah. Bruce Mathias, who was born in 1930 and died in 2006, was an American decathlete, two-time Olympic gold medalist in the event, a United States Marine Corps officer, actor, and United States congressman representing the state of California for four terms from 67 to 75. I mean, well, yeah, that feels like a whole new segment, doesn't it? Absolutely right. Uh, but, you know, he died in 2006. Yeah. So he would have been around... For the Space yeah, maybe it was that Bob well, Mathias. He, he was busy representing the state of California. No, he'd retired by then. Oh, no, in 1975. So maybe, so maybe then he rested in, on his laurels and watched uh, Space 1999. No, 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 I'm saying he was on the moon. The Bob Mathias we see in Space 1999 yes. is the same Bob. Oh, Mathias. you're, you're yes. saying it's the same person. Yes, right. Sorry. He had his career. He was in the Marines. He was a congressman, and then he joined NASA. Yes, and was seconded to the moon. Yes, perhaps. I mean, I mean, he would have been 69, yeah. but, yeah. but you know, I'm just saying. It's a lovely idea. <laughs> Thanks. Anyway, Steve Bushell yeah. commented, yeah. get ready for an out-of-podly experience. <laughs> oh, yes. How random is the randomizer this week? Yes, alluding to the fact that there was a Space 1999 episode. Yeah. Uh, as Anton Phillips was our guest. It happens. Uh, Tom Senior says, Perfect. My thanks to Anton for saying exactly what I thought about those damn monsters of the week. Series two and something didn't feel right. This is not to say that I didn't find anything to enjoy during that time. Bringers of Wonder could have been perfect. And Catherine Shell, yes, please. My total respect for Mr. Anton Phillips. Hours two. Yeah, quite right. 
Uh, people have been commenting on a fab fact, which always I makes me bet happy. they have. Uh, you'll be pleased, though, because it's the one about the uh, Space Precinct episode with no ending. Oh, yes, yes. So Graveyard, was it, that became, became Death Watch Part 1 and in, 2? In time, that's right. Uh, Paul Kinnear says, uh, and from that crisis, yep. in inverted commas, came a very enjoyable two-parter with the hastily conceived Death Watch conclusion uh, being especially good. Hmm. If only we'd got a second season. If only. If only. Uh, Quack Video says, I was fortunate enough to be present for filming of that episode. I'd won a competition to spend a day at Pinewood and Shepparton where the model effects were filmed. A great day. Ah, we might have met. We'd love to hear more of that. Yes. Quack Video. Yes. I wonder, was that the day when we were shooting out on the lot? Because I do remember there were some competition winners around really? on that day. So Quack Video, let us know. And if it was, I sort of remember that day happening. Amazing. Yeah. It's when we were skulking around the secret base. Yeah. With a big X outside on the helipad. Yeah. Thing. Very revealing. Yeah. Yeah. Mad Max hmm? says my sister was on the team at the time working on set design. Who what? Would that have been? Set design? No, I, I don't know. I never talked to any of the techies. Just the actors. I'm an actor, you know. Yes. Uh, Crikey, it looks like everyone was involved with Space Precinct. Uh, Remjet says, did any Jerry Anderson shows ever have an ending? Well, no, but why would you make an ending for something yeah. when you were hoping to do more? Yeah. So, no, not, I don't think so. Not really. Yeah, I mean, that's right. Sort of pseudo endings, perhaps, but yeah. nothing final to say this is it. Because yeah. then you couldn't make any more. And he yeah. was also hoping to make more. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Uh, and one Kent mm. says, never got to see Space Precinct. Great. Right. Thank you very Fact, much for that. Well, I mean, Fantastic. you could remedy that right now, really. It's a free episode on the Jerry Anderson YouTube channel. There you go. One Kent. There you go. So, Which one is it? I can't remember. I can't remember. I uh, hope it's a good one. They're all good. They are. That's true. That's it. Uh, yes, all for now. But uh, do comment on our YouTube channel. Uh, take a look at um, anything on there and let us know what you think. And uh, if it's nice, we'll read them out mm. in a couple of weeks' time. Mm. Yeah. I'm really missing Chris Dale. I Since just, the interview, I felt something's yeah, been missing. I haven't felt the same since no, he left. No, so. Maybe we should get him back and yeah. ask John to... Maybe John too. That'd be great. Oh, yeah. Both on the randomizer sofa. Yeah. Maybe John could press the button. Oh, that'd be so nice. be great if that would happen. Yeah. Should we see? Yeah. Please come back, Chris. And John. So, John, thank you for joining us for the second part of your very nice interview. Thank you. Conducted by me, so I can say that it was very nice. Uh, and even more importantly, you're back to press the button again on the on the randomizer here am, after your yes. incredible choice last week of Emergency Marineville. From Stingray. From Stingray, indeed. What episode have you got for me this week? Let's press see. the button. Here we go. Let's see. And it's Fireball XL5. Fire, not only is it Fireball XL5, it's actually the very first episode of Fireball XL5 I ever saw, Space Pirates. So it's a deeply nostalgic one for me, <laughs> as indeed this whole thing is. John, thank you ever so much for, for coming in and doing the interview. And, uh, it's a pleasure. And now you can go. And you I'm are very free. Happy for you. <laughs> <laughs> me too. Now I've got to watch the thing. <laughs> That's a familiar piece of music um, from Thunderbirds and Stingray, I think, and it, as far as I know, that's where it comes from. More lovely music here as we open, yes, the very first Fireball XL5 episode that I ever saw. Um, this was on 
I've mentioned it a million times before, my first exposure to the series was Volume 4 of Fireball XL5 on VHS, which I got for Christmas one year, and this was the first episode on the tape, so... We all know you wouldn't miss Bingo Night for anything. I always thought she said Dingo Night as a kid. I never knew what Bingo was at that age. Um, Darling, are you coming? We'll be late. Uh, right away, my love. And I believe that was before they had a puppet for Eleanor. I don't remember uh, her turning up before that. But yes, this was such a thrill to, to watch for the very first time. And I'm very happy to see it come up again today. Hmm. And speaking of old time, we have a supercar book on the shelf. And pirates. Yeah, but it all takes place on Earth. I like space adventures. Wish there were pirates in space. <sighs> so Venus is babysitting okay. everyone's favourite character, Jonathan Zero, who's being a bit of a brat because she bought him a book. He's not appreciating it. So she now has to tell him a story. Say that's Steve Zodiac's that incorporates the, uh, the, the pirates that he has been reading about in his story. This is lovely. I mean, I, I look at this and I think this was the first, aside from Mars in Captain Scarlet, this was my first Anderson alien planet. And I love this setup. This still looks very impressive to me today. I've always loved the robot freighter model, but the the railway in the background. <laughs> Having a sign saying space freighter on the, the inside wall of the space freighter as if we don't know we're in a space freighter. That's the planet Aridan, otherwise known as the desert planet. Yes, this has uh, been named from the book of Terry Nation planet names. Uh, Aridan, the arid planet. Minera, the planet of minerals. Ah. And of course, you never quite know if this is a real story that uh, actually happened to the XL5 crew, or if Venus is um, managing to weave a, a rather engaging story on the fly. <laughs> Just um, the fact that we have old-time nautical pirates of the skull and crossbone variety um, <laughs> in a sci-fi setting. Mm. Our prize is the jewel of the universe. They're going to conquer the Earth. Uh, just the two of them. This, this plan could take a while. But lovely characters, instantly, you know, recognisable. And the, the costumes are gorgeous. I just love these two. Earth will be so short of atomic ore that we'll be able to take her almost single. And it sounds like they've been doing very well off screen, except for uh, Steve Zodiac. Oh, it's a bit of a Corporal Jones there with the old uh, cutlass. We had to wheel the map in, Steve. It's very serious. It's not just a question of valuable cargo. But the radioactive ores we get from the planet Minera are vital to the survival of the Earth. I'm well aware of that, Commander. But things are not desperate. If things do get desperate, I can get in my spaceship and leave, Commander. I don't see the problem here. Pirates won't be able to tell it from a freighter until it's too late. 
Meanwhile, Venus and Maddock are working on a substitute for the ore. The professor and I think we should come up with an answer very soon. Yes, I remember it's getting that tape for Christmas, and this is the last you'll hear of it, because we've covered all the other episodes on the tape now, I think. It was, I asked for it because the Thunderbirds comic had started running XL5 strips, which XL5 at that time was not being shown on, on BBC and indeed would not return to British television until earlier this year. Thank you, Talking Pictures. Um, so it was, it was the first time that I got a sense that there was other Anderson stuff beyond what I was being allowed to see on the BBC that there was this entire show, Fireball XL5. You know, none of, my, none of my school friends knew anything about this. And then it was, of course, this gradual realization, I think from the, the trailer that was on the same tape, oh, Supercar, The Protectors, Space 1999, what's all this? And The Secret Service, of course. Oh, dear. So a bit of comedy here with uh, Professor Matic. I believe this does come into play later in the story. Yes, conjuring tricks and sleight of hand. I should get up to the control room as quick as you can. Ooh. Commander Zero is screaming like a Martian hippo for you. Ah. you were Martian hippos scream, you heard it here first. And we're coming up on a, an interesting bit of puppetry that um, I remember was also employed in, I think, Eastern Eclipse, when you see... Uh, either El Hudat or Ali Kali flopping around in the water. Water squirts out of their mouth. Uh, we're about to, to come up on that here as well. Because Matt is uh, about to show off another magic trick of his. And, um, well, he hasn't given the warning to those in the front row that they might be about to get wet. Twice, three times. Ah. In the coloured water, he's gone. Yes, um, I caught a bit of this on Talking Pictures when it was shown uh, repeated actually on there a few weeks ago. I hadn't seen it for ages and I didn't watch the whole thing. Oh, poor Zuni. Here we go, here's the, uh, the yeah, water spraying shot there. It's a brave attempt and they would, you know, it's something else they refined for Stingray. Um, but I just love that Talking Pictures have picked this up now. It's great. Anywho, what are we looking at? There you are, Commander. Oh. A few final adjustments in the morning and she's ready. Oh, is this right, the space freighter? Like an ordinary freighter. Exactly. It's the same model with a different decal, Commander. Believe me, she packs a mighty punch. The mm. perfect space cue ship. And congratulations. Yes, they're going to try and trap the, pir trap the pirates, I should say. Um, because somehow, incredibly, these two pirates have managed to plunder quite a lot of ships. I'm sorry, Commander, I'm still apologizing for earlier, Commander. I love that, that rolling stock in the background with the girders and such. And just, you only see that small section of the planet's surface, but it, it, it just sells the idea and, and suggests that so more is, is so much more is there. Uh-oh. Speaking of, there's a pirate in the uh, cabin, Commander. Thump. Shall I call him back, Commander? I love that no one in Space City Control reacts to the sound of uh, 
of a wrench impacting Jock's face. Oh. There's another line I didn't understand as a kid. I thought the line was, don't, bim don't bimbo aboard with a pirate. Um, but that, that's how agreeable he is. But that almost, I suppose that must have been plasticine, something on Jock's face. We may need that substitute for the radioactive ore yet. Robert and I can manage okay. Okay, Anything so. else you need? Yes, everything's ready, Commander, and I'm raring to go. It's a very serious matter, all of this uh, ore shortage, because everything's being stolen by the pirates. Ah. I guess they're going to take ours. That's a cute little design. I can hear them running up the motors. Not as, not as appealing as the space freighter, which is such a simple little design, but I love it. Oh, beautiful little mining colony here. I love it. Again, it may be nostalgia talking, but I don't think so. I think this is a quality episode. Because it's just the, the disconnect between the, the futuristic world of XL5 and these very old-fashioned pirates. And it's almost a shame that this isn't real, uh, that this is a story Venus is telling. Because I think the world of XL5 has plenty of room for these two. I really hope that this is something that actually genuinely happened. You heard the radio conversation, Patch. He'll be out looking for our spaceship. But we shan't be there, Captain. No. Exactly, you old space dog. Zodiac Yes, this is the hijacked freighter. And this interior is common, a lot of spaceship interiors in XL5 did this. Um, the bridge, for lack of a better term, was essentially just two consoles in a largely bare room. Uh. Oh, good things in store for Steve Zodiac there, I suspect. Ah. No sign of space engineer yet. How much is he overdue now? His name's Jack, Lieutenant. Any news from Steve, Commander? No, we're maintaining neutroni radio silence, just in case the pirates should be listening in. Good thought. Q ship. Again, we have a label on the interior of the ship, so that uh, our fearless uh, space adventurers don't forget what ship they're in. I also remember when I first saw this as a kid. The um, the guy who's with Jock here, who I don't think appeared in any other episode, I honestly thought he was an alien. I I guess it's a Star Trek thing. I just assumed the World Space Patrol must have alien members uh, among its recruits, because the puppet does look quite strange. Zodiac calling Freighter. Can you hear me, Jock? Jock, are you receiving me? Zodiac to Freighter. Unwitty gets no answer. He just won't be able to resist the temptation to come over and find out for himself. I suppose, thinking back, this would be... I think I said last week, Emergency Marineville is like the definitive episode of Stingray. If you really want to introduce someone to Stingray with the best, best episode, or best... an episode that's going to hook them, you know, you can't do much better than Emergency Marineville. This is a very strange episode to have been my my first exposure to the series but it never stuck out like that to me it, I was instantly on board with this world and these characters uh, 
you know, I, I just, I loved these villains. I think they're great. And of course the music. There he is now, just leaving the freedom. We don't quite have the technology to you know, really do Steve's journey to the freighter justice, but we're going to give it a go. Oh, he's got his braining wrench again. Space freighter. Again, even the outside doors are labelled. He's uh, drawn his gun. Yes, anything else we can say he's doing? He's walking down the corridor now. He's at the door. Yep. And as Steve walks onto the bridge. <laughs> I love that. It's it's classic Steve. You know, he's expecting to see a friend, a colleague, and instead, standing on the bridge is someone dressed as an old-time pirate. And he just goes, oh, what's going on? What's this about? <sighs> Good stuff. Poisoned? We'll die of thirst. We can't live without water. <laughs> yes, as Steve was knocked out, his, uh, his ray gun hit the, the water supply. So they are now going back to Steve's ship to get water from there. There's a lot of coming and going in this episode. I just noticed something, something crept into shot there. I'm not sure what that was. Hey, Captain. It stopped. That's all the water there is. Why, Oops. you blithering idiot. You've opened all the valves. Ah. We probably should mark that with some kind of label. Otherwise, Venus is just going to get them muddled up. I also, I've just realised, as I said about the this being my introduction to the series, and this is quite an unusual episode to introduce me to Fireball XL5, Where's Fireball XL5? <laughs> uh, we saw it on the launch ramp um, at the beginning of the story. I think it might appear again towards the end. But yeah, my first Fireball XL5 episode is one that has very little XL5. And mostly freighters. Well, good luck with that. Uh, oh, it's nice to see they had more than one freighter model. Robert is... Um, well, getting out of there. He's either going on or, or, or going back. Um, he's going back to Earth, okay. He's on his way home. Um, I suppose Steve left him orders to, uh, to return if he, if he didn't come back. Again, I say I haven't seen this one for a long time, despite having it on VHS and watching it to death. Uh, back to the pirate planet. Uh, it's a... Hmm, it's an interesting design of their little base there. Approaching 1680 Black, Commander. That must be Steve. No, it's, uh, it's going to be Robert. It is. Look, he's coming into land. Oh, now, well, now we can see clearly because it's landing. It must be Steve. I'm also noticing the little um, vehicles down there. Sounds like trouble. Hmm. Let's get over to the launching pad and meet him. Yeah. Uh, 
landing completed. Okay. I also wonder if there were any other Anderson fans of my era who saw the XL5 comic, well, comic strips being repeat, reprinted in the Thunderbirds comic, and were also uh, inclined to, uh, to seek the show out. I'm sure to a certain extent that must have been part of the reason it was included in the, uh, in the comic. Um, also the fact that they were running out of uh, Thunderbird strips. Pirate Captain has got gorgeous handwriting. I've never noticed that before. No, no, Commander. We mustn't do that. They would have their revenge on Steel. Yes. Water. Water. Not exactly a valuable commodity. Unless you are a space pirate hiding out on the planet Aridon. Aridon? A desert planet. Not even a conjurer could produce water there. Aha, now we, we bring in the conjuring subplot. Very, very neatly done. Venus and I will take the water in fireball and then suitably doped. It should do more than quench their thirst. Yes, this we're coming up on an interesting conclusion to the story here. The uh, hot sun on the planet Aridon. thirsty space fellow. Yes. Easy with a water patch. Yes, go easy patch. It may be your last drink. Oh, they made the mistake of uh, putting the water right next to Steve's feet. I'll slit your throat from ear to ear. Hold on, patch. He's also got a, a pistol. Never noticed that before. Now we'll see who's the toughest, huh? <laughs> said in the tone of voice where it's a foregone conclusion it's Steve Zodiac. XL5! Finally! What's this, 20 minutes into a 25 minute episode? There's the star vehicle. So I did get to see some XL5 on my first, my first time out. Okay. You know, Professor, I'm still doubtful oh. about this plan of yours. Well, I'm doubtful about letting you fly the ship, Venus, but I guess we're stuck with it. Yeah, you don't, don't often see Venus in the, uh, the pilot's seat. That's quite daring. So it's off to the rescue of Steve, being held by the space pirates on planet Aridon. Uh, I love that, that this show shares the same um, planet naming mentality as Doctor Who. Planets are either named after their defining characteristic or they're just numbered. Well, you're the pilot, Venus. I think you ought to know. <laughs> Otherwise, it means you're just flying blind. Hmm. Well, eventually they'll get there. It doesn't look like Venus has taken her out first yet. Ah, back on Aridon, the pirates are starting to suffer. And we're going to get now a live-action insert shot, um, which is, again, quite rare for XL5. And it's also, it goes on relatively long. Oh, poor pirates. Poor Patch. You really, yeah, you do get the sense of the, the heat bearing down on them. And now, mirage time. As they see, oh, not water, they see a bottle of rum. And it looks to me, is that, yeah, it does look like the hand is covered with like a stocking or tights or something, something, maybe a glove, to um, give the impression that it's puppet skin 
which uh, is interesting. I, I'm kind of glad they didn't stick with that for, for Stingray and onwards. But somehow in black and white, that kind of works. Anywho, back to the waiting. The hot sun. Oh, Steve, uh, Venus and Matter here. I couldn't stand it. <laughs> no, this is for real, Patch. Hiya, Venus. Oh, it's good to see you, Steve. No. Boy, this is uh, just like Death Valley. No, no tricks. Well, I suppose so. Or your Colonel Zodiac will get it. Got the water. It it's, uh, it's an obvious joke, but I like the sight of the, the puppet waving a sword around very close to his strings. How do I know the water isn't? Drink some yourself. Um, All right. Give what would they have done if Matt hadn't been doing his? Uh... Cash, professor, <laughs> <laughs> yes, if the professor hadn't been doing his uh, magic tricks. There you are. I'm still standing. Give us the water. Yeah, I'm not sure testing it on Venus of all people is. Uh, it's quite proof that it's uh, not got something wrong with it. Okay. Ah. And that's interesting. Um, having just had a, a live-action insert shot, we now have a close-up on a puppet hand holding two glasses and trying to fill them both from a bottle. And that was done with a puppet hand. Uh, that must have been quite difficult. Oh, there they go. But why didn't it affect Venus? Well, the answer is obvious. <laughs> Hooray for me! Yeah. So, all the loose ends are tied up. Bar one. I always love when they take prisoners in XL5. Sometimes they put them in the brig. Very often they bring them to the uh, control room. Ah, <laughs> oh, yes. I mean, that kind of gives the impression that sound travels in space, but in XL5 it does. I hope so. And I'll ponder why you have a handgun next to your bed. Okay, Venus. It's a deal. Thanks for the story. Good night. Good night, Jonathan. I wonder if that's the earliest appearance of the uh, supercar comic up there on the, the shelf. It might be. Ah, and there's some nice music to close out. What is um, a hugely nostalgic episode of XL5 for me, but uh, I don't know if, if this one rates highly among fans of the series. It was interesting, as I say, this was repeated on Talking Pictures recently. And it was, I'm a member of a, a Talking Pictures uh, Facebook group, and it was so nice to see people commenting on the show, this episode in particular, and leaving such lovely comments. It was just like, they, they, someone posted a picture of the, the, the captain, and just with a caption, Space Pirates, LOL. It's, it's lovely to see that, you know, so many years on, people are still responding to it. Uh, so, yeah, I'm very glad to see this one come up today. I was very glad to see it on Talking Pictures a few weeks ago. It is an atypical episode of the series, bordering almost on a dream story, but I say I will never 
not be in the mood for this one. I hope that's not just nostalgia talking. I hope this is genuinely a good episode. Uh, if this is one of your favourites, or even not, do please let us know. Arr! Fireball XO5. It's Aww. so nice to go back to the early days, isn't yes. it? Yes, and hopefully, uh, well, I, I mean, Chris always sings along, doesn't he? But I, I think that now I'm feeling like we need a little album. Yes. Of Chris crooning away to Aww. all the songs from the world of Anderson and maybe making up some of his own lyrics where lyrics don't exist. As long as they're not rude. No, no, they would never be rude. Chris doesn't like that. I did enjoy him singing along to the songs in uh, Four Feather Falls. Yeah, a it was so ago. sweet. Isn't that lovely? He's almost making up for uh, Fire Black Cell 5 Gate uh, back at um, Brit Sci-Fi where he um, <laughs> yes. made his unfortunate error. <laughs> yes, so. almost making up for that, but not quite. Yeah. Uh, more randomizers next week when I guess that uh, Chris will be asking our next guest to press the button on the randomizer to yeah. produce a random episode of a random Jerry Anderson show and comment on it. Well, the guest won't be commenting on it. Well, it might be. Who knows? It's happened before. Yeah. He's getting increasingly random with his randomizer. And it is always random. Mm. Except when it's a two-parter. And then, then it's, it's predictable. Then it's the predictable. Yeah. Yeah. Talking of predictability. Yes. We've come to the end of the podcast, Thank which was always going to happen Thank at this time. Uh, so in a very predictable way, I'm going to say goodbye and see you next week for pod 280, which... Is it? Let's say, I think Chris was saying earlier, is the halfway point... Of the randomizer. Amazing. So shall we have like a little halfway point birthday oh, edition of the Jerry that. Anderson podcast to mark that very moment? A halfway birthday. Nothing would make me happier than that. Really? Yeah. Don't get out much, do you? <laughs> Not these days. Bye. Goodbye. Let's get started. Let's go. Spectrum is green. So, have you got any particular plans for how we celebrate this? Um, well, we should just do things by halves, shouldn't we? Just like half-arsed. Half a cake, half a hat. Half a randomizer. Half a whistleblower, half a randomizer, half an interview. Half a podcast. Half a fab fact. Oh, half a fab fact. Wouldn't that okay. be great? Yes. Half the time. Great. And should we just make the whole podcast half as long? Yeah. In honour of the randomizer. And sing half of happy birthday. Yeah, yes, yes. To stop halfway. Yeah, and maybe there could just be half of us around the table, so only you need turn up. Okay. And I get the week off. Right. Can't wait. Sounds amazing. Send your postcard. Bye. Okay, bye. Cheers. That was an Anderson Entertainment production.